Welcome to Mammal Talk, the companion podcast for the Blood Bowl Mid-Atlantic Mauling League. In this episode, we're talking about the Dungeon Bowl Week 4. Welcome to episode 18. I want to apologize in advance for the subpar editing in this episode. It's been a busy couple of days for me, but uh, I wanted to get the episode out the door. Uh, this was a really fun week, very exciting week, and we're about to close up the regular season, which is a little sad, but also pretty exciting for what's to come in the Dungeon Bowl finals bracket and the Blood Bowl itself. So without further ado, why don't we just get into it? I'm joined here once again by Artificial Bunny. How's it going, man? It's going great. I've had a great week. How about yourself? Uh, it's been all right. It's been an all right week. We just finished up week four in the league at the time of this recording. We're going to start week five in a couple of hours. Week three was the midway point of the competition. Week four, if week three was important, week four is the one that starts to eliminate teams. We had eight teams that were still alive in the Dungeon Bowl going into this week. Six games in the week. Uh, why don't we just get into them? We'll get into them in the order they were played. Sounds like a plan. First game up in the week was D- uh, Division B matchup. This was Tracksuit Mafia at Bonsai Legends. Merrick versus Berserker Tempest. Chaos versus Underworld. And the chef putting in a good game. That's right. Bonsai Legends would pick up two babes and a chef. A halfling master chef. This is a 30,000 gold inducement. This is a an inducement that uh, the chef will cook at the beginning of each half. And if, the, and, and if he does a particularly good job, if he... If the smells are so overwhelming, the other team will be distracted by the smells and they'll lose a reroll. Mechanically, this means at the beginning of each turn, the team with the chef will roll a 3d6, and on a 4 plus, he will steal a reroll. For every 4 plus, he'll steal a reroll from the opposing team for his own team. I have mixed feelings about the chef. I love it when other people take the chef. <laughs> but I don't know if I ever would unless I am halflings because they're cheaper for a halfling team. Yeah, that 300k is pretty steep. It's it's a big asking price. But when you're up against teams that have three rerolls, maybe it works out for you. And in this game, it did. In the first half, he picked up two team rerolls, stole two. This gave him five to Tracksuit Mafia's one. And that's a huge, huge difference. Yeah, his chef is trying to perfect his mutton recipe. Get it <laughs> smelling just right. Get that scent wafting over. He's a five-star Michelin chef. He's... You can't can't ignore those smells. It's too delicious. So he had five re-rolls to one. Tracksuit Mafia, this is uh, a chaos team, a kill team at this point. He's got the skills he needs to really murder people. Going from three re-rolls to one is a huge, huge difference when you're rolling one die, right? Whenever you're rolling one die, sometimes you roll two. Occasionally you roll three. But rolling such few dice means the ability to re-roll it is a huge difference in probabilities. So having rerolls available to you is important in this game. You really want to have rerolls to change the odds on things to give you more options that are quote unquote safe to use a, a fighting game term. He's now down to one. That's not a lot. No, it, although Tracksuit Mafia still probably the scariest team that is in the competition right now. Yeah, they, they're a chaos team that has skilled up to, to get those skills they need. 
Uh, I think going into week four, they had Claw and Mighty Blow on one, maybe two players, and they were threatening piling on at the end of the week. So, ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Not looking forward to facing them. <laughs> I don't think anyone is. <laughs> <laughs> Bonsai Legends would get a brilliant coaching on the kickoff event. Uh, that would give them a 6-3 roll, you know, in case 5 wasn't enough. Now they have 6. <laughs> Tracksuit Mafia would be on offense on the first half of the game. And, I, you know, he's down to 1 re-roll, so he really needs to be careful. His action order needs to matter. He needs to control re-rolls in a way that he has to take actions that uh, if one fails, he, he probably needs to be in a position where he's okay. So again, his tactics really have to change here. And all that said, I think he did an excellent job of absolutely identifying yeah identifying holes moving this cage down the pitch uh, and picking up big yards with each turn he's picking up you know typically when you're a run team a slow run team like a chaos team they're not that slow but uh, or a dwarven team you're picking up two yards you're picking up one space a turn here he's picking up four yards six yards turn and the only way you can do that is if you find those holes and you go after them you open them up and you run through them but i mean that's why that's why they're tracksuit mafia that's why he's merrick he's he's been he's made the cut twice this season he's gonna make it the cut three times he's an excellent coach with a scary team <laughs> and this is part of the reason why he's picking up the spp he needs scoring these tds getting these these casualties and he's just a great coach he understands the tactics of his team so yeah. uh, well done by merrick here yeah he really knows how to identify each weakness that is on the pitch and just hammer it indeed uh he ended up in scoring position on turn five which is not early per se but that's pretty quick Decided to stall a couple of turns and score on turn seven. So he'd go up one to zero on turn seven. All during this drive, his Minotaur would be tied up by a goblin way back in no man's land, not anywhere near the drive. I thought this was a a loss for him. Like that go- that Minotaur is important and he didn't really get to use him. Yeah, that was a great tactic by Bonsai Legends. Using that goblin to tie up the Minotaur. Yeah, they would have to just punch each other back and forth for, for a while. Tracksuit Mafia would eventually get an injury out of it. Uh, great, I guess. <laughs> but it's a goblin. They're 40k. So yeah. Bonsai Legends, on the other hand. So this is a fresh team to the league. Berserker Legends is a newcomer to the league with a TV 1000 team coming into the Dungeon Bowl. He's done amazing so far. Fantastic job with his Underworld team. With a, a fragile team, he's played it very well. He has a Blitzer with Claw, and he realized that that's what he needs to leverage against his kill team. He's like, I have Claw... Every block I make with this guy is going to treat your armor value as if it's seven. I have to use him. And he did. He made great use. He didn't get really much out of it, but he was doing the right things. He was leveraging that player, taking those blitzes, taking those blocks. And uh, I thought that was excellent tactics on his part. Like he knew, he knew what he had to do to win this game and he was going after it. Yeah, he had his work cut out for him, but. I feel like he did a really good job with what he had. Yeah, Tracksuit Mafia is just so menacing at this point. They're so menacing. I honestly think... Uh, so Blood Bowl 2 is based on the Living Rulebook 6, and I think in that version of the rules that Chaos is probably the most broken team in the game. Uh, once they pick up that trifecta of skills, they are just stupid. They are just <laughs> stupid. Yeah. 
I believe that's been cleaned up a little bit in uh, the next set of rules. Cleaned up a lot. I haven't played with the new <laughs> rules yet. I, I've read the. I've read most of the rules, but it's been cleaned up a lot, in my opinion. <laughs> so, uh, on the second drive of the game, this is in the first half. Still, Bonsai Legends would score a fractured skull against the tracksuit mafia Minotaur, keeping uh, the, the, the trend tradition. alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, tracksuit mafia. Keeps paying for a Minotaur and can't keep him on the pitch. Ah, <laughs> uh, beef. It is what for dinner. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what the chef was cooking up, was that Minotaur in the second half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he added a little parsley. That smell was amazing. Well, it worked out well. It's, he stole all three re-rolls from Tracksuit Mafia in the second half. Six re-rolls to zero now. If one was bad... Zero is really bad. <laughs> so Bonsai Legends is on offense here in the second half. Uh, they're down one point. This is, if it were earlier in the competition, earlier in the season, probably not so bad. You could probably play for the tie and feel comfortable. But he's got to win. He's got to win if he wants to try to make the cut. Like, he really wants a win here in week four. So he's got to get this ball back early and score, and he's got to do it again. That's just tough, especially against this team. It's just really tough. Um, Tracksuit Mafia has a kicker as well. They kick this ball all the way into the corner. I think that was smart. A little lucky as well. I think you could learn about kicker placement from Tracksuit Mafia there. (laughs) I think I could. (laughs) I think I could. (laughs) That ball would get kicked all the way in the corner, which I think was a good play by tracksuit mafia to just eat up more time because that's what he needs to do at this point he just needs to eat up more time he knows that bonsai legends wants to win and it means he needs all the turns he can tracksuit mafia already qualified for the cut so you know he's fine with whatever uh he wants more spp of course you know he wants to win he wants to make sure his team's still alive but other than that he's in great positioning here this is he, he is top dog. He he knows it. He doesn't have to take risks. Bonsai Legends, turn 12. They would foul a player, which would result in a call-off. Now, this did a couple of things. I, I thought this was a mistake. Uh, so he made the foul. He was going for player advantage. I get that. You know, if you want to win, that's a way to do it. He was trying to do that in the first half of the game with that claw blitzer. Here, he's like, I- I'm just going to foul people and try to take them off the pitch. When you foul a player, if you roll doubles on the armor roll or the injury roll, you get called off the pitch and then you're out of the game forever. That's, that's a problem. So now he's, he got called off. He didn't get what he was looking for. He's down, down a player and he has nobody who could protect the ball. Um, yeah, I thought this was, was a little bit of a desperation. That was rough. <laughs> I felt <Yeah>. for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I felt that was a little bit of a desperation play that gave a one man player advantage to tracksuit mafia. Tracksuit Mafia would be, would be able to recover the ball. At this point, we're well into the half. Time's, you know, the clock's running down. Time's running out. We're up to turn 14. At this point, really not much of a hope to win. They could still try to tie this ball game. They would foul again. This time they'd get a KO out of it. That would tie it up on the pitch, 8v8. But Tracksuit Mafia would move the ball carrier down pitch to the 14-yard line. On the very next turn, Bonsai Legends would take a take a dodge to a one-die blitz, an even-odds YOLO blitz. Had to spend the re-roll on the dodge, unfortunately, which means he doesn't get the re-roll on the blitz. Got a skull. Oh. Didn't work out. <laughs> risky, risky play. 
Yeah, I mean, what else can you do at this point, I guess? <laughs> Tracksuit Mafia would end up scoring on turn 16. They'd win this game 2-0, to zero, and to add insult to injury, Bonsai Legends would lose their MVP to a dead player. <laughs> at least there's the consolation trophy out of it. <laughs> Jackson Mafia would get a whopping 19 SPP out of it, much to everyone else's chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> that was just something to watch. No rerolls, and yeah, he did. A, he did a great job. He recognized that he didn't have the rerolls, and he recognized what that meant for his action order. Again, that's why he's made the cut in every competition. I think Tracksuit Mafia. I'll have to look at the standings, but I, I'm pretty sure Tracksuit Mafia has made the cut for every single competition since the league's inception <laughs> so <laughs> so i mean he's a great coach absolutely second game of the week was a division a matchup this was womb guardians at a minor matter l Nuberino versus you artificial bunny that's kemry versus underworld so your underworld team's a little different oh yeah a <laughs> little more skill there yeah you've had your underworld team all season long you've had three competitions to level them up and level them up you have you have a number of mutations on them that make them pretty scary. Honestly, when we talk about this competition, when we talk about the season and kill teams, it's Tracksuit Mafia and you, in my opinion. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Nobody's ever said something so nice. <laughs> you guys are murderers. I'll thank you. <laughs> Womb Guardians is a new team. This is coached by El Nuberino, who's already qualified for the Blood Bowl with... Pips Pippi fan club. That's a lizard team. So he's obviously keeping them safe and healthy. Picked up this Camry team. Very good tactic. Yeah, very good tactic. The Womb Guardians would therefore, consequentially rather, they would be down on TV against your team. They'd pick up a babe, a wizard, a bribe, Ali Babad, and Hack. So two star players, a bribe, a wizard, and a babe. The babe gives them a plus one on the KO rolls. The wizard's always just a strong option to have. The bribe can keep a star player on the pitch, or he can use that to foul, and then he has two star players. You, on the other hand, you did not have, or rather you had the TV advantage, and that meant if you wanted any inducements, you'd have to pay out of your own pocket, and you did. You paid for Bomber Dribble Snot. Yeah, I had a little magic in mind that I wanted to try out. You did. You did. This Bomber Dribble Snot is a bombardier. He's a goblin bombardier. He's got a big old sack of bombs that he can toss. We'll talk about him in just a minute. <laughs> uh, the game would get underway on turn two you would hunt hack so hack is a loony he has chainsaw that means when he takes a block he doesn't have to make the block roll he gets a plus three to the armor break very scary player especially versus the skaven and goblins on my team right you're you're fragile players very vulnerable <laughs> yeah so you hunted hack down and then on turn two you were able to knock him out i thought that was very good hunting on your part Thank you. He was enemy number one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you could take him off the pitch, I mean, you have to, right? You have to go for it. Then you did something. You did something. You, you <laughs> did something. <laughs> so you had your bomber. Mm -hmm. The ball carrier was right up on the line of scrimmage, uh, very close to the line of scrimmage. He was protected by a solid wall of Camry line. You had your bomber in the middle linebacker position. You had your thrower off in the right wide zone. Up a little bit. Up a little bit, that's right. He was a little further ahead than the bomber was. Uh, the bomber was, the bombardier. You threw the ball to your thrower. So the way bomb works, bomb is basically a pass. Instead of passing the ball, you're passing a bomb. It means you have to make all the requisite pass rolls, interceptions, catches, the whole nine yards. But if someone catches that bomb, they can then, in fact they must, 
throw the bomb. So you can pass the bomb around down pitch. And this is what you did here. You took your bomber, you passed the ball to the thr- the ball, the bomb to the thrower, then had the thrower pass the bomb over the d- offensive line and target the ball carrier and you knock the ball carrier down. Now, on the surface, this looks like you're rolling a lot more dice than you have to. So explain to us why you did that. So the bomber is really only uh, only good at tossing the quick throws and doesn't have a lot of range to him. And my thrower has uh, extra arms, so get an automatic plus one on any of throws and catches. And being up a little bit meant I could protect the bomber down pitch and get a little more range out of that bomb. And I was trying to turn it into a reusable wizard. That was a brilliant play. I mean... Absolutely brilliant. You had people in the stream <laughs> going, you. I've never even thought of that before. Genius. <laughs> it was definitely something I had been wanting to try. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> I think the very best part of this wasn't the fact that you did this throw, which was brilliant. It was great. But it was the fact that this actually turned into something. So you did this to ultimately convert this into a touchdown. You had a player in position. You had a goblin with two heads. Super Dodger to grab that ball and pick it up. And I, I don't want to say secure the ball, but you're up against a Camry team, right? So mm-hmm. you're in pretty good shape here. So this was absolutely marvelous. Like <laughs> top tier play. Well done. I was trying to make sure I had everybody available if I was able to get it out of his hand. Matt, you did. Uh, I think the the Womb Guardians did an admirable job of fighting over the ball once you recovered it. But the problem is they're Kemri, so already they're at a disadvantage, right? Like, let's say he knocks it out of your hands and the ball scatters onto the ground. Who's going to pick it up? Is it going to be you or the Kemri team? It's going to be you. <laughs> it's going to be you. <laughs> so you're already at an advantage here. And yeah. uh, that's it. At that point, you, you had that ball, you secured it, you scored on turn five, you go up one to zero. The Kemri AG is just not there. He doesn't have skills to make the ball pick up safe. He doesn't have the AG to pick up the ball. I mean, they're, they're skeletons. They're dead. They, they don't want to pick up the ball. <laughs> yeah, that was the other reason why I took the bomber, is I figured they wouldn't be able to catch it and throw it back to me if, it, if they did. Oh, good call. Good call. Second drive of the game, the bribe would be spent here. This kept hack alive and he would be out on the pitch i don't know if i like this how do you feel about this (laughs) i probably would have saved him for the second half but he was able to get a ko on my troll he did he did get a ko on your troll and he kept him safer on this drive as well he said okay 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 i'm not gonna let you hunt down hack this time i'm gonna keep him caged up and safe unfortunately they didn't do the same for the ball Uh, yeah, so he'd have three turns left with Hack to try to cause some damage with. He kept cat, uh, Hack safe this time, but you identified an opportunity to go after the ball. The ball was kicked very shallow. Did you kick it shallow on purpose, or was that just, did it just happen that way? I accidented into it. I don't have kick on any of my players yet. And you just kicked it dead center? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Every time. Oh, <laughs> worked out in your favor there. I figured dead center is a little safer than a touchback. Yeah, yeah, like against a Camry team, absolutely. If you want to, dead center means it stays on the pitch. And if it stays on the pitch, then Camry is going to have a hard time picking it up. So I think that's a good call. But good job to you to, to hone in on that ball and recognize the opportunity to snatch it away from the Guardians here. You would recover that ball on the very first turn of the drive. 
you're, you're on defense and you said, no, actually I'm on offense. So well done. That's the other tradition this competition. <laughs> Scoring on defense. <laughs> <laughs> the the Guardians would be able to use leverage hack to blitz your ball carrier. They'd get the KO on that. Uh, well done by Elder Barino. But you would have a player in a position to score on turn eight. You'd go up two to zero in the first half of the game. Uh, great job and a great example of why you always want somebody in scoring position just in case you can. And you did. Learning from the Wood Elves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, learned it from watching not- you. <laughs> <laughs> I learned it from watching you, Dad. I learned it from watching you. That would pretty much put the game away. You would be on offense here in the second half of the game. On turn 13, you'd score again. You'd go up 3-0. to zero. There's no way the Womb Guardians are coming back from that. The start of the final drive of the game, they would cast a, a vengeance fireball against you. <laughs> I probably would have done the same if, or, <laughs> if we were Target five players. <laughs> <laughs> He'd get a KO out of it, a knockdown and a stun. That's really nothing, nothing that he's looking for. On turn 16, though, boy, oh boy, man, he'd, a, he'd foul you. He'd foul you with uh, a full seven players. As many as you can get. (laughs) That's right. This made it a two plus armor break. That's a guaranteed armor break. He only got a KO, but man, I commend that. That was beautiful. Yeah. And I think that was against Mason Drillbit, who is my favorite player. That's right. (laughs) Fair play to him. (laughs) Uh, Again, you'd win this game three to zero. The Guardians would unfortunately lose their MVP to Ali Babad, the star player. And this this is the risk of taking star players onto your roster, right? Like the MVP is at ra- is random. The MVP scores five SPP. It's the most SPP you can score for any given event. Anybody who takes to the pitch is eligible to be MVP, whether that's a star player, a journeyman, a mercenary, or even someone who died. So the more star players you take, the more risk you have of that star player yoinking your SPP away. Uh, and they're, they're one of two options where you can't actually recover that SPP, right? Like you can't hire a star player and you obviously can't hire a dead player. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I I tend to hire star players anyways. I figure if they're on the drive for more than a couple turns, they've, they've done what they needed to do for the MVP points. And uh, if they get it, that's all right. Try not to uh, count on that five SPP either way. Fair enough. And, and the odds are still pretty low, right? If you have one star player, that's at worst one in 11. If you have two star players, it's two in 11. But if you're something like an underworld team or a goblin team or some, some team that's feeling more than 11 players and you can get them onto the pitch, then the odds increase even more in your favor. So probably probably not too bad of a risk, but a risk nonetheless that, that players need to keep in mind. Third game of the week would be a Division B matchup. Nihide Anuffle at Petting Zoo Players. This is Clypheus versus Doug the Minotaur. Chaos Elves. Chaos Elves? What would Chaos Elves be? <laughs> Chaos Dwarves! <laughs> I, I think your war dancers are Chaos Elves. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, yes. <laughs> Those the two old mutants. Chaos Elves. Uh, chaos Dwarves versus Dark Elves. Petting Zoo players coached by Doug the Minotaur, who is 
new to the league. Nehide and Uncle coached by Cliphius, who is not new to the league and has already qualified with the blood uh, for the Blood Bowl. He's the Chaos Cup champion, so he qualified with Nehide and Uffel. So we will see them again in the in the Blood Bowl. Petting Zoo players being a new team means they are down a bunch of TV. They would pick up two star players. They would pick up in in inducements. They'd pick up Eldrill Sidewinder. They'd pick up Hubris Rackarth. Yes! <laughs> uh, Hubris Rackarth is a killed player. He has block and mighty blow. Great stat line. He has seven movement, uh, four strength, four agility, eight AV. I love him. <laughs> I'm an Eldril man myself. <laughs> Eldril's not bad. Eldril has dodge, pass, nerves of steel, his pass block, and hypnotic gaze. Now, all the other sk- all the pass skills we're pretty familiar with. Hypnotic gaze is a little different and a little tricky, especially for new coaches. Hypnotic gaze, uh, the way that works is you have to make almost a standard agility roll. You don't get a plus one for it, but you do get a minus one for tackle zones that you're in. But after you move, you can try to hypnotize an enemy player that you're adjacent to. And if you succeed on your agility roll, you hypnotize them. They lose their tackle zones and they lose their ability to do anything, basically, until their next turn. So a new player will look at this skill and go, who cares? On his next turn... I'll just activate him. He'll be good to go. The reason it's so scary, or can be scary, is because this is a game of luck mitigation, right? You want your opponent to chuck more dice than you are. That way, they're going to make more mistakes than you do. And one of the ways you can do that is by forcing them to take turns out of order. And Hypnotic Gaze can do just that, right? You can force your opponent to to say, oh, I wanted to do this with this player. Maybe I want to take a block, or maybe I want to take a Blitz get the block, reposition him to get an assist or whatever. And now he can't. Now, if if he wants that player to have an assist or do whatever, he's got to action him first, and that might be out of order. And so you can leverage this. A good coach can leverage Hypnogaze to great advantage, to just force the opponent to have to make decisions now. Like, oh, how risky do I want to get? I need to watch out for Hypnogaze, so I need to have a backup plan. And, and then you see the... You see the gears start turning, and the strategies have to get more and more complex. Uh, I thought he'd make great use of this. He didn't. It didn't quite work out that way. Yeah. On top of all that, it can really be put to use, uh, busting cages and taking out just one of the corners without even having to blitz. That's a great point. It's absolutely could be uh, be used in cage busting. Um, Turn one of the game, Nihai, Nihai Nuffle would use a Frenzy Blitz with the Minotaur. This, man, this play, so good. This, oh. <laughs> so Clypheus is a pitch control coach, uh, and it shows here. So he moved a dwarf into position against an opposing elf in the right wide zone. He took a Frenzy Blitz with the Minotaur, uh, pushed the elf into position on the sideline for the surf. He would have the dwarf in the chaos dwarf in position for the surf typically when you set up for a surf you have the blitzer in position for the surf but this minotaur is an important player for him he wants to be leveraging that minotaur with his frenzy uh with his horns and he wants to make sure he's in the drive so after he sets up for that surf he then moves the minotaur away to take a mark down pitch and keep him in the drive this was so good yeah yeah he really kept him working so good, so good. 
Um, he had enough on offense here on turn five. Uh, they were doing a great job on offense, just moving this ball down pitch. He's a Chaos Dwarf team, so he doesn't have a lot of speed except for the Bull Minotaurs, uh, who have a ton of speed. They have an MA of six plus sprint and sure feet. That makes them basically MA nine, and he would he would leverage that in this game. But uh, on turn five, he had an opportunity to foul a downed Witch Elf. The Witch Elf is is about as important on a Dark Elf team as the War Dancers are on a Wood Elf team. He didn't foul the Witch Elf. He had a bribe. Each team got a bribe on the kickoff event. He had a bribe. Ah, oh, it was lucky for Petting Zoo. <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> I, I was offended. <laughs> There's such a threat with that jump up, being able to get pretty much anywhere, even if they're knocked down. Yeah, jump up's a great scale. Jump up lets them block from being prone, provided they pass a, a D6 roll. Or they can just stand up and move. And typically when you're prone, it costs you 3MA to stand up, not with jump up. You can just stand right back up and scoot along to wherever you need to be. They're scary players. I would have fouled her into oblivion. <laughs> but uh, Nehi decided not to. He wanted to try to protect this ball as best as he could. And he did so. He, he had excellent protection on this ball carrier. Doug the Minotaur recognized this and said, okay, I can't get the ball fine. I'll pressure the ball. I'll try to get you to score early. But in the meantime, I'll just try to take your players off the pitch. So I'm going to foul your Minotaur with two assists. And I'm going to keep fouling this Minotaur. He got, I think, two more fouls. <laughs> that was brilliant. Yeah, great presence of mind here by Doug the Minotaur. Doug the Minotaur, by the way. So Clypheus, again, he's the Chaos Cup champion. He's a good coach. He's proven himself in the league. Doug the Minotaur is brand new to the league. But it is very clear that uh, he is not new to Blood Bowl. He knows what he's doing. He's a great coach. Yeah, it's been really great to see him play these Dark Elves just brilliantly every time. Yeah, every Doug, game. The, Doug the Minotaur and Berserker Tempest both are new to the league and both have been really doing great work with their respective teams. It's been so fun to see. Uh, Doug the Minotaur, on one of these fouls, which also very good tactic, he fouled with his star player. So... This is really smart because he knows the TD is imminent. The star player is a secret weapon. He's going to be sent off the pit. Wait, was he a star? No, the star player was not a secret weapon. Fair enough. All right. Star player is not a secret weapon. If the star player was a secret weapon, (laughs) this would be brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) But ended up fouling with the star player. That's not one of your permanent players. Uh, At the very least, you can keep your permanent roster on the pitch to get some SPP. Uh, He's going to take the foul with the star player. He's going to try to take this Minotaur off. I thought that was really good play. And you know, really smart, really, not only does he recognize he needs to switch over to trying to take players off the pitch, but he recognizes who he wants to do it with. And, uh, I, I mean, that's, that's the hallmark of a great coach, right? You know, you, your decision-making doesn't stop where it looks like it should stop. You're like, oh, I'm going to take a foul. Okay, foul. It's no, no. Who am I going to take the foul with? Right? Who do I want to get SPP on? Or if I don't want to get SPP on somebody, who do I want to risk taking the foul? He, he's considered all these options, and I thought that was really smart on his part. On turn seven, uh, Petting Zoo players would take their final foul on the Mintar with the lineman. They had four assists at this point. Um, but this time they would free up the star player to go after a knee-height enough old dwarf. So he'd try to take the blitz. He'd roll a skull on the blitz, but again... Just watching this is so clever, right? He's like, okay, well, now I have a better opportunity with my star player to go take a blitz somewhere else. So now I'm going to take the foul with this guy 
and send my star player over to take a blitz on a starting player. <laughs> Nihad and Uffel would end up scoring. They go up one to zero. Then with one turn left for petting zoo players, they would try for a one turn TD. Again, we've seen him try this a number of times. Always fun to see. Couldn't make it work. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had a good setup though. It was just, didn't quite work out. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little bit about how one turn touchdowns work. So the idea behind a one turn touchdown is that whoever your ball carrier is can move, can use their full movement to get into the end zone, right? There are 13 spaces from the line of scrimmage to get into the end zone. Nobody has an enemy of 13. <laughs> so <laughs> in order to get into the end zone with, uh, even with an MA 10 player, you, you still can't get there with two GFIs. So an MA 10 player could get there with three GFIs naturally with a sprint. But when are you ever going to see an MA 10 player? A really leveled up uh, bull centaur? (laughs) Or a lucky Skaven gutter runner or something. Very lucky Skaven gutter runner. (laughs) So it's really, so that is, you can't do it that way. So the idea is that you're going to get chain blocks to push your ball carrier forward, the number of spaces you need to push them. For him, he needed three pushes. Uh, so the idea is that you'll create a little gap in your defensive line, a little pocket. You will get a block or a blitz or something to push a player, a defensive lineman, a defensive tackle into this pocket. And then you'll start taking a series of blocks to push whoever your intended ball carrier is down pitch the number of spaces you need. Uh, and then whoever's on kickoff reception, we'll pick up the ball, pass it to the ball carrier, and the ball carrier will do their best to GFI to score. Uh, he needed three. He got two, I think. Uh, I think the only way he could have made it work was with the frenzy, uh, with the witch elf, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't looked at one turn setups in a while. Yeah. There's a really good, uh, puzzle on the Blood Bowl 2 challenge section and uh you have to do it with a dwarf team and it's really tough but (laughs) wow i didn't even know that (laughs) it's it's a really good way to uh practice it oh so there you go i I had no idea that even existed that's great (laughs) (laughs) yeah look up the challenge puzzles that they have on there they're pretty fun will do second half the game here uh penny players would uh, be on offense and they would set up for a surf with the elf. And this is well done. So Nihad and Nuffle would set a player up two spaces off the sideline. Oh, well, you know what that means. That witch elf has <laughs> frenzy. City. That's right. Uh, Doug the Minotaur would say, okay, fine. I'll, uh, I'll surf that player. Not a problem. Now, I don't know if that was a, a oversight on Clyphus's part or if he thought that strength of four made him safe. But Doug the Minotaur did a great job of setting up this surf. So he said, all right, strength four. I need to make sure I get the two-die block all the way for the surf. I'm going to set two players up ahead of time so I get the assists I need. Uh, I'll get the the two assists I need to make that a two-die blitz. And that's exactly what he did. And he set it up and he got the surf. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, that was a really good surf. On turn 12, uh, Petting Zoo players would score after passing the ball back and forth across the pitch. I thought this was great, too. So 
We often talk about how passing is the riskiest thing in Blood Bowl because you roll so many dice, and it is. But when you're an elf team, not so risky, especially if you have a re-roll of some sort, especially if you have multiple re-rolls, if you have pass or catch or whatever. Yeah, it definitely helps. <laughs> yeah, so these are pretty safe actions to take as a high agility team. So he would pass the ball down pitch to the right wide zone. Knee-high to Nuffle had a secondary in position. He said, okay, I'll just trample on over to the right right side of the pitch. And then Pettingsley player said, okay, well, then I'll just pass the ball over to the left side of the pitch. And that's what he did. And then knee-high to Nuffle said, oh, well, now i got to move over to the left side of the pitch. But it was too little too late. Pettingsley players would be able to score and tie the game up one-to-one. Excellent, excellent offense. That was a great play. So good. So good. Doug Lamentar, again, just playing this team so well. So fun to see. Um, on the next drive of the game, <laughs> the final drive of the game, unfortunately, it would be a pitch invasion. Unfortunately for Pettingsy players, it would be a pitch invasion. <laughs> That's always rough. <laughs> <laughs> During that pitch invasion, one player for knee high to Nuffle will get stunned. Okay, okay. Four would get stunned for petting two players and two on the line, too. So that was particularly rough for petting two players. Yeah, when all of your defense suddenly goes down, it's like... <laughs> yeah, and Clypheus took advantage of for it. For like two turns. It's like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, stuns are huge. Stuns are huge. You're, you're down, uh, you lose a turn, and that's a, that can effectively be two turns that you're out. Clyphus took advantage of that. He said, okay, this is my shot. This is my shot to win this game. So uh, he'd get the ball in the hands of a bull centaur on turn 15. He'd identify the holes. He'd open them up. And he would use that sprint with the bull centaur. Like we said, bull centaur has an MA of six. They have sprint, which lets them take three GFIs instead of two. And they have sure feet, so they get a a free reroll on GFI. Boom. They go up two to one to win this game. Well done. I Honestly, I don't think Doug Minotaur could have played any better. I think he played great. Yeah, I I feel like they both just did brilliantly every single turn. Agreed. Petty Zoo players will try one more one-turn TD to try to tie this game up, but it wouldn't work out. Uh, but again, always fun to see. <laughs> always fun to see. Fourth game of the week would be a Division B matchup. This would be Pity the Ghoul at Genus Chaos. This is Dead Fred's Necro Team versus War Horseman's Chaos Team. So Dead Fred's Necro Team, another terrifying team. Yeah, I unfortunately missed this game, so I'm going to have to watch this one in the replay. Fair enough. Uh, This was uh, Dead Fred's Necro Team. Dead Fred uh, sitting high in the standings of Division B against War Horseman's Chaos Team. The Necro team, very well leveled. His positionals are scary. I mean, you know he's got those werewolves. Uh, he lost one last week. <laughs> he lost one last week. Uh, Scooby-Doo. Poor Scooby-Doo. <laughs> but right. he hired a new one. <laughs> he hired a new one. He's got two. Uh, but the other one's still very leveled. He has the two ghouls. He has a level four MacGyver ghoul who's scary. He's got the two flesh golems, Mr. T and Mr. Rogers, who strength four with stand firm. Just a really well-rounded, terrifying Necro team. I'm impressed that MacGyver has made it this far. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think he has Blodge at this point, so that's that's keeping him alive that, for sure. That helps. <laughs> yeah. Genus Chaos is a chaos team. I think they've been around since the Spike Magazine trophy. I don't think they played in the Chaos Cup. I think War Horseman 
well, I know War Horseman played in the Chaos Cup, but it was a different team, I believe. So they, they missed a competition of TV to pick up, which is fairly crucial for a Chaos team. Again, you're looking for that trifecta of skills. You're looking for Mighty Blow, Claws, and Piling On. Yeah, an unskilled Chaos team can be a little tough to catch up with. Uh, yeah, I agree. To make matters worse for Genus Chaos is they have not been able to keep players alive long enough to skill them up. He would come into this game down four players. <laughs> oh, I'm really feeling yeah. for him. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think this is in large part to his play style. He's very, very aggressive with this team. He goes for the marks each and every turn. He just throws players base to base with other players. Uh, and I, I think that's I think that's causing his players to die, <laughs> personally. <laughs> this will be a rainy game, so the passing game, uh, not really on the table. Not that Genus Chaos would would try it, uh, but Pity the Ghoul might. There would be a blitz, events, uh, blitz event for Genus Chaos, so they'd be on defense to start this game. Cool. So now they can blitz down a player for free. They get a turn zero blitz. All right, who are they going to blitz? They didn't blitz anybody. They just moved <laughs> the rest of their linebackers up to the line to mark more players. <laughs> uh, I thought that was a mistake. And it would turn out on turn one that Genus Chaos would go down two players on turn Ooh. ones. <laughs> yeah. So oh, that's, that's rough. Yeah. So, so the problem with taking marks uh, is that if you move a player base to base with another player, you're not going to get that block. You're going to give your opponent the opportunity to get that block. So when you mark a player, when you mark an opponent, you really have to be thinking about why you're taking the mark. Am I locking down that player? Do I think I have enough strength that he's not going to block me down? Or if he does, he's going to have to dedicate too many people to it. Uh, you really have to think about these marks. Uh, but he gave Pity the Ghoul a lot of marks to take, uh, a lot of blocks to take. He took them. He would, he would take two players off the pitch. It would be 11 v 9 on the pitch going into turn two. And then the werewolf would get a surf against a high dollar beastman against mayhem. And he he would get a high he would get a surf against this high dollar uh, beastman mayhem. He would kill that player and then resurrect the player to play for Pity the Ghoul. Hey. <laughs> is that the first one that we've had this season? It is. <laughs> so Necro team doesn't uh, they're not allowed to bring an apothecary. They have a necromancer instead. That means uh, when they kill a player, uh, <laughs> if, uh, if it's strength three or less, with a few other exceptions, uh, there's a chance that that player will resur- be resurrected to play for their team. It was really fun to watch. Oh, man. I feel bad for Genus Chaos, but that's super exciting to finally have a <laughs> resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, so we're only on turn two now. <laughs> so three players out for Genus Chaos. On their turn... They would lose a Chaos Warrior on a both-down result against a Claw player. So what they did is they took a one-die block yeah, against a player with Claw. So they both go down, and that Claw makes his Chaos Warrior's armor, which is typically AV9, AV7. And then he would lose the Chaos Warrior. Now he's down four players. Now he's down four players. Turn 13, Pity the Ghoul would fail a GFI to run the Ghoul down pitch, so... Again, uh, War Horseman's play style is to just be very, very, very aggressive, going for those marks, really try to collapse down on the ball and just super high pressure, no holds barred, let's go, let's fist fight, let's do it right now. So Pity the Ghoul felt a little spooked and they tried to run the ball down pitch with their 
their ghoul, the ball carrier. Move him down pitch. They wanted to move him to safety, so they tried to GFI. Well, GFIs fail 900% of the time. So the <laughs> GFI failed. <laughs> and uh, that would be a turnover. The problem is, because Genus Chaos was so aggressive with this defense, he didn't have anybody in the secondary to recover this ball. So he pulled four players back to get toward the ball, but he couldn't get on the ball. Pity the Ghoul would uh, have to spend a reroll to try to protect the ball first. So what Dead Fred was doing was he was like, all right, I have a, I have a shot to score. I'm going to put players in the position first, just in case it doesn't work out. That way I'm in a better position. Like, again, it's a game of luck mitigation. So if you fail the die roll, you want to make sure you did your safe actions first, right? Pull players back, exert some tackle zones, then go after the ball. Uh, he had to, to dodge to get a player in the position that he wanted. Failed that dodge. He had to spend the reroll. You only get one team reroll a turn. So now he didn't have the reroll for the ball pickup which was going to be a 50-50 pickup thanks to the rain. Failed that pickup, unfortunately. (laughs) Genus Chaos would then uh, try this YOLO dodge to pick up the ball. It was a five-plus pickup. Didn't work out. Pity the goal would be able to score on turn six. They'd go up one to zero. Um, On turn eight, Genus Chaos, uh, they couldn't really score uh, on this last drive of the first half. But they could gain some SPP. So you'll typically, you'll, you'll watch coaches chuck the ball around, do a quick pass for, for some SPP on the thrower. He had the ball. He had the ball. He was one space away from the Chaos Warrior. So you could have done a quick pass. Instead, he moved the Chaos Warrior down pitch and then tried the long pass instead. And was it still raining at that point? Uh, yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's tough. <laughs> Uh, in the second half, Genus Chaos would be on offense now. Okay. So now they're down one to zero. They're still in this game. They would put two journeymen back to receive the kickoff. So this was a little perplexing to me. Journeymen have the learner skill. That means if they need to spend a reroll, you have to roll a D6 first on a four plus. They can take the reroll. Otherwise, not only do you lose the reroll, you can't take it. So having a ball carrier, somebody who's going to be rolling dice probably, be the ball carrier was a little perplexing to me. Not sure what the idea was there. Maybe he was trying to get some SPP on them so he could hire them afterwards. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. At this point in the game, he didn't have enough players to protect a tight cage, so he probably needed to go something a little more spread out. He went with a tight cage instead. Pity the Ghoul would collapse down this cage. In fact, they would collapse the cage itself. The entire left side of the cage would collapse uh, this forced the ball carrier to have to dodge. He would, of course, fail that dodge. But on turn 12, he would be able to recover. So the ball was on the ground for a little while. Uh, he'd have to do a 5-plus pickup to a 3-plus dodge. That worked. <laughs> he hey. pulled that off. So he recovered this ball. So he's still in this ball game at this point. On turn 13, after multiple blocks by Pity the Ghoul, the ball carrier would remain standing. Great. <laughs> Genus Chaos <laughs> still in this ball game. They did pick up Grashnak. I don't know if I mentioned that, but they picked up uh, Grashnak Blackhoof. Yeah, he's a <laughs> he's a uh, a Minotaur, a star player Minotaur. He has Frenzy, Horns, and Mighty Blow. This is uh, a great kill player. So Genus Chaos, as we said, doesn't really have any skills as a Chaos team. Uh, chaos teams tend to want to level up to be kill teams. This is a kill player he has. So... Uh, a good pickup for him, I think. 
Genus Chaos would make good use of Grashnak to take out the werewolf. He would injure that werewolf with a uh, a smashed hip that <laughs> means he's minus Poor. one MA. Poor limping puppy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if the werewolf stays on the roster or not. But this would allow him to move the ball down the left wide zone. Genus Chaos is still in this ballgame. So now everyone's getting hype, right? We're like, oh, let's go. You can do this. <laughs> He was probably at this point, so he moved the ball in the left wide zone. He had a number of players he hadn't actioned yet, but at this point, he was probably in his best formation he could be in, right? He was tying up a number of players. In my opinion, he shouldn't have taken any more actions. He should have just ended the turn. Instead, he took an uphill block. The uphill block naturally failed. It wasn't a deal breaker. It just wasn't necessary. And and that's something... You know, that's something that a newer coach, War Horseman, uh, I don't know if he played Blood Bowl back in the day or not, but I know he's he's fairly new to it now. And uh, that's something that we've all done, right? Like, you know, when we're new oh, yeah. to the game, we we go, I, I want to roll dice. I want to roll dice and knock people down. Uh, sometimes it's better not to. Sometimes it's better to just say, you know what, I'm just going to hold you up instead. Um, on turn 13, Pity the Ghoul would get <laughs> would do three dodges with the Ghoul to a two-die blitz on the ball carrier. Three dodges with the ghoul. <laughs> Just a couple. He get two. He get a two die block. He get the pow on the ball carrier. The ball carrier, of course, gets knocked down. But on turn fourteen, Genus Chaos could have recovered this ball. They could have taken a two die blitz on the ghoul. They had a beastman with horns who was prone. Could have stood him up and done a two die blitz. Could have gotten at least one more player back to the ball as well. Instead, he got Grashnak back, which was good. Uh, but he didn't take the blitz, and he took some dodge way back at the line of scrimmage that failed and caused a turnover. Mm. Oh, man, my heart stopped. I was like, oh, no. On turn 15, though, Pity the Ghoul would fail a 3-plus dodge. So they had the dodge skill. This is like an 88% chance of success. They would fail it. This gives Genus Chaos another shot. They're still in this ballgame. So Genus Chaos would finally blitz this ball carrier. They blitz the ghoul away uh, with the Minotaur. This is a frenzy blitz. That's a great play. You get them two spaces away. You free up the sideline. Awesome. But didn't pick up the ball. Oh. Still didn't pick up the ball with the Barking <laughs> oh, no. Beastman. Oh. <laughs> On turn 16, this would be his final opportunity. He's still in the game. But now, instead of running the ball into the end zone, he'd have to do a handoff. His only options are Grashnak the Minotaur. Or a journeyman. First, he's got to pick up the ball. It's a 50-50 pickup on the sideline. Spends his final re-roll. Doesn't work out. Ball scatters back towards the line of scrimmage. It's nowhere that he can convert that into a TD. Peter the Ghoul would win this one 1-0. to zero. Man, I, I wanted that draw so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he really gave Pity the Ghoul a run for his money there. He did. He did. Um... Honestly, I think, I think if War Horseman took less marks, he'd be a lot. His team would be very. His team would be uh, pretty scary. Um, it's just those marks I think are are killing his roster. I, I think I think they're they're not they're not working out, and uh, he needs to not give up those blocks and instead take the blocks. He can take the blocks, he can get the SPP, and then once he starts doing that as a Chaos team, he starts to pick up Claw, he starts to pick up Mighty Blow, and he's just getting scarier and scarier, and then he gets piling on and everybody hates him. That's where he <laughs> wants to be. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Fifth game of the week would be a Division A matchup. Uh, two Division A matchups left here in the week. First one would be Tainted Cocktails at Jingles All the Way. This is Malik's Chaos Team versus Venger's Orc Team. Venger, the current Dungeon Bowl champion. Oh, man. This is one that I didn't <laughs> didn't see until afterwards. And boy, was it a game. <laughs> oh, it was a great game. Jingles All the Way would be the underdog. Uh, not the underdog. They'd be the underdog in terms of TV. <laughs> of course, Fenger is the Dungeon Bowl champion, so I don't know if you can call him the underdog. <laughs> but uh, he picked up a babe and a wizard. Uh, I think that's a fair pickup. Tated Cocktails would be on offense in this game. By turn four of this game, Jingles All the Way had a two-man player advantage. Uh, orc teams are, are bashy, right? They are the bashy team. They still have some good movement, though, and uh, they're flexible. Yeah, they really are. They would spend uh, spend that wizard. They'd fireball the tight cage, five, five-man cage. They'd fireball it. Uh, and then they would uh, take advantage of that to recover the ball and score on turn seven in the first half. So not, not a terribly remarkable first half, but he took his resources and used them to his advantage in the correct way and was able to score in that first half. Pretty well done, I think. In the second half of the game... Jingles all the way would end up with a one-man player advantage. Tainted Cocktails would be on defense. So now he's down. He's got to get this ball back. Tainted Cocktails still in the competition. They've got to get a win here. They apply pressure down the right wide zone. Fair enough. Jingles all the way would do a great job, however. So he knows he's up one to zero. He's on offense, right? The momentum's in his favor. He does a great job of understanding that he is under no pressure to score. The pressure he is under is to keep that ball secure. And Wenger understands this very well. And so he takes his time. He doesn't engage the defense in any unfavorable way, right? He doesn't go mark that cage. He doesn't restrict himself to one part of the pitch. Like he's got pitch control and he's moving this cage around. He's doing a lot of lateral movements. Um, and that's great because he's he's got the ball safe. And he's eating up time on the clock. Um, so this is great, great coaching by Wenger, right? Like, what more can you ask for here? It's like, look, I'm in charge of the clock here. The momentum's in my favor. I decide how long things are going to take. And that's going to force Malik to have to take risks. He's The momentum's not in his favor, and he's got to get this ball back. Uh, and he's got to get this ball back with enough time to score. He's not a particularly fast team. He's a chaos team. So on a turn 12, Tainted Cocktails would take a block on the ball carrier. That would be their chance. Unfortunately, they would push the ball carrier away to safety, as sometimes that's what happens. I can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> Jingles All the Way at this point had made some good marks in such a way that uh, Jingles All the Way would be able to just freely move this ball up the right wide zone. Um, and Tinted Cocktails would have to take some dodges to get back on the ball. Dodge failed. <laughs> That's unfortunate. But uh, <laughs> at that point, Tainted Cocktails just bailed on turn 14 and 15. They're like, ah, <laughs> forget it. Oh, man, I don't blame him. I think he had taken uh, three injuries at that point or something like that. Yeah, he was down. Yeah. Jingles all the way would just walk the ball in. They'd win the game two to zero. Uh, and that would eliminate, uh, that would eliminate Tainted Cocktails from the competition. Good showing. This is the best showing Malik's had so far in the league, uh, which is kind of scary, right? <laughs> so 
as a fellow competitor, it means he's getting uh, better, right? (laughs) (laughs) Which is scary. So if you look back at any team, at any coach, you'll watch them get better and better and better from competition to competition. And I already thought he was pretty great to begin with. So <laughs> yeah, so so Malik uh, Malik is is like turning that corner to becoming scary. Like he was he was in the top three all competition long, right until until the end of this week. Like, ugh. <laughs> even at the end of this game, he was still in the top three. So I'm still uh, definitely going to play it safe when I play him next. <laughs> oh yeah, you have to play him in week five, right? I mean, he's got a, he can he's got a oh, team yeah. that can kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm definitely not taking it lightly. I was surprised though when I went from uh, being down TV to suddenly being up TV against him. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I I mean, this is one of the things I love about this game. Again, this is another thing I've said a million times, but I love how much agency you have in this game. And so watching watching Malik take this team. And just murder players, right? <laughs> like just, like, oh, man. like it's kind of like uh, you know you watch a, like again you know you watch my, watch my season one Chaos Cup games, they're <laughs> terrible, right? They're absolute garbage, right? You can say that for any coach, but watching Malik like learn to pick up his team, learn to play it, but most importantly, learn to play it in his own style like is scary right so you in a good way but like he's like okay he's got the fundamentals cool okay he's got some sound strategies cool oh oh he's doing that oh i didn't think of that oh oh no what do i do against that so uh i'm very i'm both looking forward to and absolutely terrified by uh what he's going to do in season three so (laughs) we'll see yeah and like uh venger and clypheus he's gotten really good at that uh pitch control game yeah he, he really has being he exactly really has. where he needs to be yeah so uh this is a little my apologies malik if you're listening but this is a little a little extraneous information malik is a is a veteran gamer in general he's a he's a world champion gamer in in some games so uh he's certainly no no uh no stranger to games and I'm absolutely terrified as to where he's going with his blood bowl teams. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, final game of the week would be Division A, uh, Nur- uh, Nurgle Burgle Boys at Take the Wood, Take the Bad. That would be Nick Satan, League Champion, and Spike Magazine Trophy Champion. That would be his Nurgle team versus my Wood Elf team. No champion whatsoever. <laughs> uh, take the Wood, Take the Bad had... Uh, a pretty strong TV advantage here. I think it was 1560 versus 1000 or something. Yeah. <laughs> it was a I, lot. I think you had a little advantage there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the boys would pick up a bribe, a babe, one extra team training. Um, and then that would give them an extra team reroll. They'd have four rerolls to R3 to start this game. They also have those three players, right? They have, uh, the Nurgle Beast, and they have the, um, uh, who are the other players with Disturbing Presence? The Nurgle Warriors? Yeah, the Nurgle Warriors. They have Disturbing Presence. So Disturbing Presence is this area of effect. It's three spaces in any direction. It's a big square. And all the passing stuff is minus one, right? 
you know, passes, interceptions, catches are all minus one within this square. They stack, but key is even if the player's prone, he's still exerting this disturbing presence. So long as it's on the pitch, the disturbing presence is on the pitch. So this was, in my opinion, the boys' best matchup, right? And that, that square is a lot bigger than it seems like it should be. <laughs> yeah. Three, three, three squares in any direction is a lot of squares. It's a six by six square. But this was the, the boys' best matchup, right? So they're up against a fragile team, AV7, and it's a team that loves to pass. So he has that disturbing presence to shut down the passing game, and he's a bashy team. He's a bashy team, so he can try to bash down this this fragile Wood Elf team. So uh, uh, I wasn't looking forward to this. <laughs> so, uh, so we went into this game, uh, take the wood, take the bad, would lose the coin toss, they'd be on offense to start this game. We would threaten the pass as always, because we're still, we're still going to threaten this pass. That means, uh, we're going to force him to use his disturbing presence players, right? Like we're going to make him spread them out, uh, and put them to work. Uh, the boys would go in strong to try to take out the war dancers. This is totally fair play for a bashy team, in my opinion. Uh, the war dancers are the linchpins to this team. He would, Go in uh, for the blitz. He'd knock a war dancer down, and he would foul, foul, foul. He was trying to take that war dancer off the pitch, and I think that's totally fair. That's the way you do it against what else? <laughs> yeah, even if you lose a player to a foul, getting called off the pitch, if you can take the war dancer off, you're if you can take one of the war dancers off, you're that's such a big advantage to you. But on turn two, uh, take the would take the bad would end up with a loose cage. Remember the fireball is in play there. There's the um, uh, I don't know if he mentioned it, but he had a wizard as well. Uh, but the fireball's in play, so we end up with a loose cage, uh, not just because of the fireball, but also because we want to have movement options. A tight cage tends to limit your movement options, um, especially for a team that doesn't like to get hit. We tried to goad the boys into applying pressure down mid-pitch, <laughs> so we, we set up a line of players, and the, the idea was like, oh, we feel insecure over on this side of the pitch. Why don't you come apply some pressure towards the ball. The ball's on the left side of the pitch at that point. Uh, Nick Satan's, you know, he's a champion coach. He knows better than that. He goes and hunts <laughs> down the war dancer instead. And the reason we did that was uh, if he would have sent players down to apply pressure, we're elves. We can go wherever we want. We have an MA of 47 million. Um, and that would have freed and up. Leap. <laughs> and leap. Yep. That would have freed up the right side of the pitch for us to just do whatever we wanted. Right. We would have, uh, move the ball over to the right side of the pitch, and now we're free and clear. Uh, but he continued to pursue the word answer, which I think was the right call. Uh, take the wood, take the bat. I think we'd do a pretty good job of running the ball down pitch to turn four. Uh, we'd cross center pitch. We would set up a tight cage. Remember that fireball's in play. We would put a sixth player into the cage. But as Clyphe has pointed out on stream, uh, we would not put the word answer in the cage. <laughs> that was smart. Yeah, the reason for this is we're trying to go the fireball. So the fireball is a big threat to us as well. Uh, not just for, uh, not the fireball. We're trying to go the wizard because, uh, it's not just the fireball that's the threat, but perhaps more importantly for us, it's the lightning bolt that's the threat. Cause we'll, we typically will have a player down pitch and a lightning bolt will knock that player down on a two plus. So we want to get that fire. We want to get that wizard out of play as soon as possible. So we gave him. I thought five players might not have been enough. I gave him six. I was, <laughs> I was like, here you go. Here's six players. Try to knock them out. Uh, a fireball knocks down 
a every player in a three by three square on a four plus. So it's a 50-50. So the reason we did that was, of course, to goad the wizard usage, but odds were three players would be left standing. We had a couple players down pitch. We had the war dancer there. We had enough players around that even if he knocked the ball out of our hands, uh, even if he recovered it, uh, I think we would have been in good shape to get this ball right back. And we were, we were in a pretty good position, I thought. So I thought this was my opportunity to try to get this stupid wizard out of play. And sure enough, the boys would spend it. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, and they'd get unlucky on it. Unfortunately, they rolled below odds. They'd only knock down two players instead of three. They get down one knockdown and one stun. Not enough to really do anything with. And then on turn five, we would just set up a four-man corridor down pitch. We were in scoring position at this point. We'd move players into position in case we'd have to GFI to score in case the GFI failed and it didn't. And we'd end up taking the lead on turn five, one to zero. Next drive of the first half, we would kick the, <laughs> we would kick the ball one <laughs> space deep. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> <laughs> one space deep. It was a touchback. Nick Satan, as you could hear on stream, Nick Satan asked me, he's like, should I put this on, on the Beast of Nurgle? Should I put this on Sarah <laughs> Jessica Parker? She deserves a touchdown. I was like, she deserves a touchdown. He puts the ball in the hands of the Beast of Nurgle. <laughs> Beast of Nurgle has a MA of four. All right. But she's very strong. And she does have tentacles and disturbing presence and stuff. So the boys, Nick Satan, he does a great job here of keeping the pressure on. He doesn't have a lot of time left on the clock. He knows uh, he has to keep moving forward. He knows he has to take marks. So we talked, as opposed to the Genus Chaos matchup, this is a matchup where he can probably get away with marks, right? He's got a lot of strength advantage. He wants to keep going forward, keep going forward, keep going forward, opening up holes, force us to dodge. If we dodge away, because we're so fragile, if we dodge away, uh, we've got to roll dice. And eventually we're going to fail one of those rolls. And once we do, that's a turnover. And now players can start being out of position for us, right? Yeah. And unlike Pity the Ghoul, you do not have uh, Claw and Mighty Blow. That's very true. <laughs> uh, and I, I thought I thought the boys did a really good job there of keeping that pressure on. It didn't work out. Uh, so we played, you know, our turn three game was against you. Uh, and we just wanted to not make dumb mistakes. So we, we were not going to take crazy risks. We didn't pass the ball to score because of disturbing presence. We didn't, you know, that would have been a dumb risk. On defense, we just need to keep our players alive. So we're backing off, we're backing off, we're backing off, we're keeping the defense intact. We don't want to make dumb die rolls. And that worked in our favor. On turn seven, the boys would end up trying to keep the ball carrier, Sarah Jessica Parker, the beast of Nurgle, <laughs> try to keep her safe. Uh, but he would have to, he'd have to do a four plus dodge, a four plus dodge, a four plus dodge, a three plus dodge to a GFI. Didn't work out. <laughs> now that's not as risky as it sounds. He had a reroll that brings it up to, this doesn't sound right, but it's about a 20%. It's about a 20% chance of success. That's not great still, but you know, you, you hear all those die rolls, you think like 2%. Um, but he had a reroll. He got that beast a lot further than I was expecting him to. He did. He got her way down the pitch. He got her in the, I think she was in scoring position with GFIs. I'm not sure. But on turn eight, uh, we would get our defense into position first to force an exchange for the ball carrier. So we got our defense into position where 
Sarah Jessica Parker could not score, not without making reckless dodges. So we'd have to, he'd have to get that ball off to someone else. Then we would blitz Sarah Jessica Parker. Uh, it'd be a good blitz. Uh, and so we felt pretty safe. But the boys would come back on the final turn of the game. They could score, but they would have to do a pass to a three dodge run. <laughs> That's what they would have to do. To make this pass, they'd have to do a five-plus pass. Oh, I'm sorry. It was a five-plus pickup to a five-plus pass. That's an 11% chance without the reroll. They had the reroll. They didn't need it. So that was Nuffle being very kind. <laughs> <laughs> but then they had to make the pass. And that's and then they would have to make the dodges. Uh, the pass was a 32% chance. Uh, they, it was a good pass, but a failed catch. Uh, it's 32% with the pass, the interception, and the catch all rolled into one. Didn't work out. Uh, but that's Blood Bowl, right? Like, you just, you got to... so close. <laughs> <laughs> it was very close. It was very exciting. It was a lot closer than I ever would have expected. <laughs> um, but you got to, you got to make your, you've got to minimize your opponent's chances of success. And, and so that's what we did. And we'd be up one to zero at the half. But now we'd be on defense. So we just need to stop this team from scoring. It's a bashy team so we have to be very careful here as as a fragile team we don't want to give up more blocks than we have to so we would set up in a standard two deep elven defense i would not give up both wide zones in this case i gave up one wide zone i gave up the right wide zone played much more even more traditionally than a traditional elven defense uh, i funnel the players to the right side and i would just hold back i would hold back Dodge, I would take the blocks where I had them to push players away. I would dodge back everyone else and just keep that defense intact, keep it too deep so he couldn't get a, a blitz and, you know, sneak that ball by me. Uh, on turn 12, the boys would send a Pesticor down pitch as a receiver. So we had to blitz him down. Uh, so that's what we did. We uh, used a Ward Answer to blitz down the Pesticor. Uh, we blocked him down to the sideline, and then moved the War Dancer back up into the defense. Now, we had a player in position there. So if you imagine a player knocked down, he's prone on the right side of the pitch, right on the sideline, and he wants to move, say, down from your perspective. We had a player down and to the left. And so what this means is this receiver has to move backwards uh, to catch the ball or has to blitz, and it's a, it's a one-die blitz. Uh, and it's a one-die blitz against a wrestle player. So both down results not going to help you. So that's where we want to be, right? We just want to stop that receiver from being a threat. We don't really care about anything else. So we just park that player there, um, or park that cornerback there, really. On turn 13, that's when the strip ball leap, strip ball leap blitz. <laughs> Hate that strip ball. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, this was another thing that I was very cognizant of. I didn't, I didn't want to go ham with the strip ball leap blitz. I wanted to do it when I could convert it into something. So I, this mm -hmm. felt like the opportunity. So the cage was over on the right side of the pitch. So what we did is we set up a wall on the left side of the cage. Uh, and the reason we did this was when we go in for the, the, the blitz, we were blitzing in on the right side. So the way, if you're unfamiliar with this tactic, the way you set this up, is minimally what you can do is you can move a player up to a side of a of a tight cage of a five man cage just park him one space off that side of the cage right in the middle now he's marking two sides of the cage that means those players will not lend assists 
Now, the War Dancer can leap into the spot between those two cage players, blitz the ball carrier. He can get a two-die blitz on the ball carrier uh, because he's strength four, but often it's a one-die blitz, but he has block uh, and dodge. So we got the two-die blitz, and we have strip ball. So all we need is a push, and that ball is leaving the hands of the ball carrier. We're going to push that player over to the left side. So now that ball is going to scatter somewhere to the left side of the cage. If somehow that ball moved to the right, the sideline's there. We have the defense right in front. We don't care. But if that ball moves to the left side of the cage, we have players there, and we can pick it up and run with it. And that's where the ball went. We picked that ball up. We ran with it. So uh, <laughs> that worked out in yeah, our favor. Great play. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so we recover the ball. We'd move the ball down the left side of the pitch. The boys would go after the ball, but we had that protective unit in play. We had that wall there. And that's why we needed that wall there. If we were to recover that ball, we need those players between the ball carrier and the offense to exert tackle zones. Uh, and that, that protective unit did their job very well. On turn 14, we ta- uh, we end our turn trying to take a one-die blitz on a rotter. This is the only player that can get at the ball carrier. All we had to do was knock him down. He couldn't blitz him. Instead, we rolled skulls. <laughs> <laughs> so we got knocked down. The rotter would stay standing. He could take that blitz. Uh, but even then, it was the odds are he wasn't going to convert that in anything. Uh, he took the blitz, had to spend the reroll on the push, got another push. That would be the end of the game. Uh, nobody could catch us at that point. We would win that game two to zero, and that would formally eliminate uh, tainted cocktails from the uh, from the competition. So with our win, tainted cocktails uh, uh, needed us to lose. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so after week four, we're down to five teams. Two, I'm sorry, three teams in Division A. Two teams. Uh, no, 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 no. It's got to be more than that. Let's see. Let's see. We're down to three teams in Division A. So you have already qualified. You are making it to the semifinals. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Jingles all the way versus take the wood, take the bad. That will be a week five matchup. The winner of that game advances. Or rather, I should say, if take the wood, take the bad wins, they advance. Otherwise, Jingles all the way advances. So they can get away with a draw as well. In Division B, it's a little more complicated. There are four teams left. So Tracksuit Mafia has qualified. Pity all the ghoul. Uh, pity all the ghoul. Pity the ghoul. <laughs> <laughs> pity the ghoul can qualify. They're going to play Tracksuit Mafia. If they win, they qualify. If they don't, well, then they may still qualify, but that gives Bonsai Legends and Knee High to Nuffle a chance. In order for Bonsai Legends to, to advance, they need to win their game, and Pity the Ghoul needs to lose. If Pity the Ghoul draws Tracksuit Mafia, Bonsai Legends can't advance because they lost to Pity the Ghoul earlier in the competition. Knee-high to Nuffle just needs to pray to Nuffle. They need to win. <laughs> Pity the Ghoul needs to lose. Bonsai Legends needs to not win. And then Knee-high to Nuffle needs to win by, like, two touchdowns. Hey, it's still a chance. It's still a chance. And, man, it would be hype if they made it. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of week four, man? That was, that was oh, a man. week of games. There were some amazing games this week. <laughs> so good. So good. It's, I mean, I feel like I'm gushing at this point, but like, it is so fun to me to just watch these different team uh, coaches play their teams in their own unique ways, get better over time, 
show their their wacky strats like your your bomb toss that was amazing <laughs> like, um it's it really was, fun. it was definitely <laughs> it was definitely some fun that i wanted to try <laughs> uh so i i'm excited to see how these these uh games shake out in week five this is the final week of regular season play after this it's going to be semifinals for the dungeon ball and then it's just the blood bowl left three teams have already qualified for the blood bowl uh one or two more teams will qualify for the blood bowl it will probably be two teams unless knee-high to knuffle makes it to the dungeon bowl finals uh so it's going to be it's going to be exciting weeks man i all great teams, all great coaches. It's just going to be great blood ball for the next few weeks. Absolutely. And <laughs> as soon as this competition's over, I'm definitely looking forward to the next. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> all right. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for joining me, Artificial Bunny. Look forward to being here next week. Yeah, week five. Let's do it. I, I'm eager to talk about week five. It's going to get started for us in yeah. under an hour at the time of this recording. It's going to be a so great game. It's going to be Bonsai Legends at Petting Zoo Players. It's going to be a super great game. So Bonsai Legends needs to win. If they win, then they they have a shot. <laughs> so uh-huh. It's going to be a great game either way. So many games have a direct impact on semifinals. Let's see. One, two, three... Four. Four games of the six have a direct impact on who's <laughs> going to make it to the semis. <sighs> All right. Well, uh, again, thanks for joining me. We'll Thank see you back again. here next week. That'll do it for this episode. You can watch the Mid-Atlantic Mauling League on Twitch at twitch.tv slash avaunit02. That's E-V-A-U-N-I-T, the letter O, the number two. And watch archived games on YouTube at Blood Bowl M-A-M-L. Be sure to check us out on the web at mammal.club. That's M-A-M-L dot C-L-U-B. You can also follow us on Twitter at Blood Bowl underscore mammal or on Facebook at Blood Bowl Mammal. Play Blood Bowl! You can play Blood Bowl online via Cyanide Studios Blood Bowl 2, or in tabletop form via your friendly local game store. Be kind to each other. Forgive everyone. Praise Nuffle! And may he bless your dice. <laughs>